This is David Finch, artist of Batman and a bunch of other things, and you are listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have Josh45. What is shaking? And CBS. That's you. That would be me. <laughs> Did you cut the budget? There's no. no announcer man anymore. Well, just just two episodes. He's busy doing other stuff. So after Comic Con, things will kind of go back to normal, probably. Well, they, they will at some point. We just we just have a busy couple weeks, and I'm gonna be gone all next week, so it screws up everybody's schedule. Always gallivant across the universe like you own the place. Well, it's it's because I do. <laughs> Um, alright, so today we're doing episode number 116. Oh yeah. 116. Yep. I mean, we're gonna be doing books wise, book wise, wow. Words. Book wise, we're gonna be doing Multiple Man number one from Marvel Comics. Uh, follow that with Project Superpowers number zero from Dynamite. And we have Go Go Power Rangers, uh, number 11 from Boom Studios. And then the Lost City Explorers from Aftershock Comics. This is a number one also. And we'll wrap it all up with uh, Superman number one from uh, DC Comics. This is the new 2018 Superman. That's fancy. Fancy schmancy. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then uh, after that, we have an interview with Meredith Finch. Uh, this is from the Denver Comic Con 2018. We had a chance to chit chat with her for a little bit. Fantastic lady. Awesome. So, uh, without further ado, I guess move into new stuff? I don't know why there was an ado there at all. I do, I don't. Whatever. We knew news wise there, Josh. Adu. Adu. Aju. That's like a sandwich. Sauce. Like the sauce? Yes. Aju. Aju goes along with your sandwich, usually a French dip. <laughs> Delicious. Speaking of San Diego Comic Con, um, cinematographer confirms that there will be a Shazam trailer at San Diego Comic Con. We'll see if that happens, but it probably will because it's about time. And they got to see um, the first look at the suit of what's his name? What is that guy's name? That's Black going. Black Adam? No, the guy that's playing Shazam. You mean the actor? Mm-hmm. He's that guy from Chuck. Mm-hmm. I don't know his name. Yeah, me either. Yeah. If you saw Chuck, that's the guy. Um, yeah, you get to see him in his suit, and he's like, he's like the little boy, and they're drinking cola outside. Hmm, okay, see, look at that. Yeah, it's from far away, but that's all right. Um, can't remember what his name is. Mm, anyway, Zach Quinto, is that right? <laughs> no, that's that's Spock. Oh, right, <laughs> different guy. Uh, Zachary Levi, you're close. Oh, okay. Is it in the right right ballpark, sort of? They're both guys. They have Zach as their first name, right? Right. Nice. Um, what else is going on in the news? What's in the news? Um, there's a rumor that uh, Batwoman is going to be in the season seven of Arrow. That's cool. Um, that'll probably be something verified in AO two if that's true. FX's. Why the Last Man cast Diane Lane and Barry Cogan. Hmm, so okay. it's getting closer. That's um, neat. Legend, that- the Legends of Tomorrow heads back to, back to the 1960s in season four. 
Okay. Uh, time travel stuff. That's what the whole show's about, yeah. Um, Which is fantastic, by the way. Katie Lutz is amazing. She's great. Well, I have a ton of other news. And comic book related news. Uh, we found out that Sleepwalker is going to be getting his own uh, uh, mini. I guess it's a mini series connected to Infinity War. So it's Marvel's Sleepwalker. We haven't seen him in a fair minute, so that'll be neat. Um, and there's a release date for Umbrella Academy Volume Three: Hotel Oblivion. They're saying expected delivery October third this year. There's been a couple uh, test pages that showed up, not test pages, like art pages that showed up uh, on a couple websites this last week. So that's awesome. Fancy. Plus, they're still working on the Netflix show for the same title. So I'm kind of wondering if they're going to drop at the same time. October's sort of set aside for like Stranger Things things. So I don't know if that's going to be something that drops at the same time or if it's we're going to have a little while longer to wait on. Well, on, uh, on the Umbrella Academy. But they are doing a couple cool things at San Diego for that. They're putting out a uh, button and then a t-shirt with the school crest on it. So that's cool. Neat things. Um, and then, uh, they're doing a, TNT's gonna be getting a show. I don't know how, why I prefaced it that way. That was stupid. But TNT's gonna be getting Quantum and Woody live action TV show. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Quantum Woody is a Valiant property, um, superhero comic. It's a funny one. So it'll be interesting to see what that one ends up being, whether they include the goat or not. If you don't know what I'm talking about at all, then you should look up Quantum and Woody. I thought I had some other stuff, but can't really find it. I was thinking um, some more movie news, but I'm like mm. blanking on it right now. It's a little late. That's right. I'm low energy, man. We need to stand up and do some jumping jacks. That's not how that works. No? no? I don't think so. Well, maybe. I don't know. I guess football players do it, right? Jumping jacks? Yeah. Is that even like a real exercise anymore? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. They do math different, so for all I know, no. They might not be. <laughs> they do math different, so they don't do jumping jacks. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. When's the last time you went to school? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. My mom's a teacher. My dad's a principal. You think I would know more things. Well, then you should probably call one of them and ask. I'm pretty sure your dad's a jumping jack kind of guy, so I don't think it matters what normal school curriculum is. If he, he wanted jumping jacks done, they'd be done. When he helps coach wrestling, he's the uh, endurance like exercise coach. He's like makes the kids do lots of running and stuff. Well, see, there you go. That didn't answer the question, but I, I'm, so, I have yeah. a feeling that he's a jumping jack kind of guy. We'll have to call and ask him. Hmm. I mean, not tonight. He's probably sleeping. No, at this point, he'd probably be. That would result in needing to do what jumping if we, jacks. What if we called him, put him on the podcast, like I hold it on speakerphone? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Joshua! <laughs> you need to give me 20. You do jumping jacks! Like, what? Exactly. That would be the answer, though. Right. That would be, that's true. <laughs> almost, almost worth it, but I don't have to do <laughs> jumping jacks, so. Yeah, there's that. Crazy nonsense. Yeah, I thought there was another comic announcement that I thought was really cool. Oh, we're getting a new writer on Wonder Woman. Um, I think around issue 50. Shoot, I don't remember what it was now. Hmm. That doesn't help, like, really at all. We did have a cool reveal at the end of Titans. Uh, so if you guys are reading Titans, then you know what that's about. We had a return of a character that has been missing from the world for a while now. Since, like, maybe issue, gosh, I don't know, 20 for Teen Titans. 
during New 52. We haven't seen him for a while, so that's really cool. Since before rebirth, right? Before rebirth, yeah. It was during 52 when we saw him last. So that's really cool. So yeah, I'm not sure one of these, what, some of the news that I've read that's already out there, like if, what I'm supposed to reveal and not reveal, even though it's all on the internet. I, I didn't give the drop to the name of it, so I don't know. Ultimately, I don't know where the rules lie or if there's rules at all. I think they're all rules that we make up ourselves, so whatever. They're black suits back in Spider-Man, I guess. Hmm. I read that. That's interesting. He was wearing it, hanging out with Mary Jane, looking at New York. Hmm. I know there's a batch of variant covers that are showing him with... There's a J. Scott Campbell variant that has her in the Spider-Man suit and him in the black suit. So it looks amazing, but it's, you know, it's a one in 50 or one in... I don't remember what it was. It was a, it's some the, type of exclusive. It's those uh, website exclusive, like the artist exclusives that they're doing. Uh, the ones with the city? All the J. Scott Campbell ones, yeah. Um, this, did, this one was a one like, twenty five, so it's uh, not a it's a it's it's not one of the exclusives for his website. Oh, yes, he, I don't he, doubt that he has a whole set of them, but yeah, he did like seven of them. I think he did one with the lizard. Or maybe no. Yeah, the lizards in the first issue. But, it, but yeah, he was saying that there's he, there's a couple. He sh- shows a bunch of sketches of them on his Instagram. Cause I follow him on Instagram, but he did um, a Venom one, a Mary Jane one, a Gwen Stacy one, I think. Hmm. There's quite a few. They're actually really cool. I mean, at this point, that's all he does is covers, really. I don't think he's done anything else since then, but... No. Yeah. He's, a, he's a cover guy, which is fine, whatever. Frank Chow does that, too. Yeah, but Frank he, draws but, interiors. But, but he does interiors, yeah. Yeah. I like that guy better. Frank? Yeah. Yeah, he's funner. He's I, mean, I mean, not personally, though. I mean, no, no. I personally, don't. he's he's funner. Campbell's kind of a jerk. Uh, in, in real life, that's, like, personally knowing them. Because he charges money. No, no. To not, people to make, to no, take, not, not take charge, him to dinner? Not because he charges money for you to pay for his dinner. <laughs> Even though it's like a $1,500 ticket for you and the 20 other guys that came so you can hang out with him and his wife having dinner. Which is also really weird and creepy. A little bit. I mean, that's that's part of it. I and mean, that is kind of a jerk move. But then all be all of it is the guy's just a jerk as a person. But hey, when you're a rock star, I guess it's fine, right? Yeah, I guess. Whatever. Oh, it, that's what it was. Layfield's property, The Prophet, got optioned for a film. Oh, interesting. So, well, that was interesting. Yeah, we'll see, see what that happens with that. That's cool. Even though I can't stand I know you love Layfield. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Hey. Speaking of jerks. Yeah, right. I was going to say that, actually. <laughs> I never had a problem with Rob in, in life. I never He's never been anything but fine with me. But Just because he wants to be Matt Damon. Well, they do kind of look the same. Yeah. I think it does sort of. I mean, in in life, they do look similar, but he's like that Ozzy Osbourne and Elton John thing, where my head for the same dude. They don't look anything alike. Well, Damon and Layfield don't look the same either. No. So, anyhow, that's enough of that nonsense. <laughs> it's like we lost control and didn't even start yet. It's terrible. That's the way I like to go. Yeah, I out know. of control. It's a complete mess. Let's wait till we get into the books. Oh God. Speaking of books, <laughs> no, no, whatever. Well, you informed me earlier that I don't really pay attention when I read them, so. Well, I feel like you, you don't get as much from them when you read them as I do. But at the same time, I mean, I don't really know that because I'm not in your head, really. I mean, kind of, but not really. You're not at all. No. I just, I just read really fast because I read a lot. Hmm. Okay. Either way, you want to tell me a story about Multiple Man? Just to let you know. There will be spoilers. Yep. Sweet. Oh, yeah, it's over here. 
Multiple Man, Marvel Comics, number one. <laughs> That's all I got. It's not. <laughs> Let me get to the the page. It's uh, written by Matt Rosenberg, and it's drawn by Andy McDonald, and colored by Tamara bon- Bonvillain. It's a cool last name. Mm-hmm. Bonvillain. Yeah, but no like. D. It's just Bond, not Bond. Oh yeah. So if, if, was, if that if that was that sounds like a girl, if I was her, I would change it to Bond villain. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't get sued. That maybe because it's a family name or something. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much do what you want. I guess. So anyway, on to Multiple Man number one. It starts with a, a big metal locked door, and uh, then you see strong guy and um. Colossus's sister, Magic. Iliana. Iliana. Yep. I wanted to say Liliana. No, Iliana. Iliana, but they're looking through like this little, like, um, kind of like the submarine window, the circle, and they're trying to figure out how to get in there. And Strong Guy's like, oh, that's just because it's locked, and he just rips the door off the wall and just like, mm-hmm. ah, screw it, we'll just get in here. Locks don't matter to me. And then, um, the rest of, like, X Factor is kind of with him. I assume that's. Basically, what you call was X Factor at this point. Yeah, cast wise, I don't. It's like a mixed match of characters. They're not. There's not really an X Factor group at this point, but um, they're close. It's close enough to be an X Factor group. Well, they go in this room and they're looking at all these like uh, they say it, they. It looks like it smells really bad and it's gross. And there's like a bunch of like baked beans and all these notes and all these and drawings and things like that. And all of a sudden, somebody says you shouldn't have come here. And then it flashes forwards to uh, Beast. At the X Mansion in his laboratory singing, and uh, they come through a teleportation hole, and they're like, Beast, we have somebody who's sick, and it's Jamie Madro, or Madrox. Madrox. Yeah. Madrox. I think it's the X is silent. Uh, I'd say Madrox because it sounds cooler. They lay him on the table, and at this point, everybody thought he was dead. Well, yeah, he he died he died earlier on in a, uh, during some of the inhuman stuff. He's yeah. one of the ones that got killed by the... Uh, um, the Terrigen Mist Cloud. Yeah. And so, come to find out, he actually did die, and this is one of his uh, duplicates. Or what do they call him? Yeah, duplicate. One, Multiples. One, yeah, one of his. Uh, he has a different name for it in here. But, uh, well, anyway, this one specifically is Jamie's scientific side, and uh, he's trying to figure out a way to make the uh, duplicates last. Right. Meaning himself and Beast's like, well, man, I don't know what to tell you, but you're still decomposing. You're still going to die. I'm going to start breaking down. So he uh, he goes and finds Bishop and knocks him out and steals one of his, his time devices <laughs> and <laughs> steals Kitty Pride's burrito out of the fridge and takes off into the, I assume, future. Well, and then Iceman's talking to Beast, and all of a sudden Jamie comes out of a time portal and he's like, hey, uh, did you finish that serum yet? And he's just like, um, no, I haven't finished the serum you asked me for 15 minutes ago. And he's just like, oh, because he's confused. And um, then another one of him pump, pops out and they get into a fight. And he sucks him back into himself. So that's odd. Cause well, the duplicates work just like Jamie did. So they get absorb each other. Ultimately, Jamie could absorb all of them. But with him being dead... In theory, the way it always supposed to have worked is when he died, all the duplicates died. Right. So, and the duplicates could so die I, separate. So, if, like, if a duplicate, so say the sciencey one, got dead, then 
ultimately all that would really happen is that Jamie would lose that part of his personality and he wouldn't be able to uh, gain any of the memories from the other dead duplicate. Once he absorbs them, the memories all combine together, but otherwise you wouldn't get any of those memories from that particular right. one. I didn't realize that the duplicates could absorb each other, though. I thought only he could absorb them. We've seen a map before with where they all absorb into one big mess. But Prove it. Just kidding. When I say it happens. So that's why I, th- I actually thought it was weird that he absorbed them. So that's why I thought it was a weird thing. Mm-hmm. That was a weird plot twist. But one way or the other, um, it gets weirder. It does. <laughs> so then he's in the X-Mansion. And Bishop's like pissed at him, obviously, because he had just knocked him out. And he seems like he's been all over the place and he might have fixed himself because he's not messed up anymore. And he's telling the other duplicate that, uh, he's a liar and all this stuff. Saying, like they're arguing before he absorbs him. And he's like, enough of this. And then all the ex people that are in the, like, Archangel's there. And I can't even see who else is there. Strong guy, Nightcrawler, Magic. That looks like Kitty Pride, maybe kind of hard to tell but uh they're sitting there like questioning him giving him the rundown and then all of a sudden the alarms start going off in the x mansion and this weird deadpool looking guy but with like jamie's design that's on his shirt is on like his logo yeah like the little the dots the six dots with the lines across them it's like deadpool looking guy with laser wolverine claws breaks through the window and just keeps saying rar and uh then a cable looking guy comes out of nowhere with the same design, Jamie Madrox like logo, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden a like cloak and dagger looking one kind of comes through, but and then I think it's of, really crazy. And then all of a sudden that one turns into a Hulk. Yep, which is even more weird. And so it's like a, a cloak and dagger Hulk, Jamie Madrox, crazy. And then it's like we don't want to fight you. After they already are fighting everybody. Right. And it's just like, um, we came because you're going to need our help. And they're all him. They're all Jamie, but they're all like super powered. Different versions different of him Jamie, somehow. Like, like a cable version and a Deadpool version and <laughs> right? all this craziness. And so, and that's the cliffhanger that it ends on. So, yeah. He must have messed something up or did something weird. Best we can tell. And what's hilarious is it shows a sample cover of the next issue, and it's just like a bunch of him standing, like the old-timey wartime posters from like World War II, but it's like a bunch of Jamies, but they're all thumbs-downing. The propaganda-style ones? Yeah, it's yeah. like a super cool cover. So it's actually, if anything, I'd pick it up for that. Yeah, so it, was, it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. I laughed out loud several times because he's <laughs> there's a part where Beast and him are like – well, when he first comes back through the time portal and he's like saying and he's arguing and then the next one comes and he's like, they're arguing with each other and he's like, beast is all Jamie. This is why you annoy people. <laughs> and it's just like holding them separate from each other. Cause they're arguing and fighting. Right. That was really funny. I've always liked mobile man. So nice fun character. Uh, you got a score for that book there, Josh. You got a four. It was a really good book. I'm really excited about this series. Sweet. Art, the art's really good in it. Um, it fits like it's hard. It's he's one of those um, characters who, if, if you, certain characters can be written or drawn by pretty much anybody, and it's universal. But he's one of those characters because he's so crazy that you ha- it has to be the right fit. And I think that whoever's the the artist and the writer for this are, are a great fit. So 
Cool. It's a good match. I'm not sure. Is this going to be a, a miniseries or? At this point, it's a miniseries. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens with it. If it, if it does really well sales wise, we'll probably see a, a continued series. But at this point, yeah, I don't want to say it's a six part. Six is better than zero. That's true. Score wise, you know, I give it three and a half. It was fun. As far as, yeah, as far as a setup for a book, Maddox has had like a whole lot of different things they've done with him. And story wise, we had like one where he was in a, wound up in a different reality where he married this, um, I can't remember her name. Married this other character. Um, he had a couple different lifestyle type versions of him, like one that was a family, one that was a doctor. So like, there's been, then they did the X Factor detective agency, which was freaking awesome. So like, story wise, they've done a lot of cool things with him. And when they killed him, like a lot of people, a lot of people didn't even notice, which I think is super lame. So I'm pretty happy to see him back in something. And the idea they're trying to do with this rebuilding, whether it means they're going to alter his powers or not, I don't know. But like as a thing, it's, I don't know, it's a pretty neat little book. And being that we haven't had him in anything for a while, it was, it was pretty cool. I did, I did like that stuff. It makes me wonder about the other reality, Jamie. If he's gone or still around or not. I mean, it's hard to say. Anyhow, yeah, so I give it three and a half. Good stuff. Good writing. You know, fun book. Um, all right, so from there we'll move on to uh, Project Superpowers number zero. This guy's from Dynamite Comics. They did this as a uh, intro to a new new run on this Project Superpower stuff. So it came out as a ten cent issue actually, which is kind of crazy compared to everything else. Um, but as far as like a, a series of books, is this is a not really a continuation from the old stuff. It's more like a new starting. But these are definitely characters that have been around and had stories before. Uh, anyhow, uh, this is written by uh, Rob Williamson, and the art is by uh, Sergio Davelli. Davella? That's uh, D-A-V-I-L-A. I don't know how to pronounce that. Davila? Sure. Like Bob Vila? I don't, don't know, because I don't know how to spell that guy's name either. <laughs> I know the name, but it doesn't mean I know how to spell it. Um, so as far as the storyline, like it's it opens up, and we're basically outside, listen, like going through a voiceover, looking at the world, and uh, then we pull back into the uh, next page where it's given like a big splatter page and it's the uh, green llama and it's him like viewing the world outside, well not outside reality, he's in reality just like the way he's looking at the earth is through projection in his hand. And like the green llama, he's very like, he's very like Doctor Strange. So if you're familiar with Doctor Strange, that's kind of what the green llama is. His powers are magical. Anyhow, but he's a character that's been around a lot longer as far as, far as a thing. But uh, while he's viewing the Earth, also the Earth explodes in his hand. He's like, "Oh my God, something's crazy's happened. Crazy is happening." Wow, that was not a full sentence a second ago. <laughs> and from there, we get a giant explosion through the window, and we get the uh, death-defying devil. And the death-defying devil, if you've never seen him before, he's basically half red and half blue, like literally split down the middle, and then like uh, Superman tights for the most part. And boomerangs. He does have boomerangs. And he comes flying through the window, and the llama's like, hey, what, what's going on, devil? What's happening? Because the two of them know each other from previous incidents, and both are good guys. But the devil has, like, crazy horns growing out of his back, all crazy, and he's freaking out, and he starts talking to the llama, which what's crazy about that is that prior to this, the devil never spoke. So him talking at all is super bizarre. Anyhow, so as he's fighting the llama, he tells the llama he's got to take him someplace, and then he... he Basically unzips himself into nothing. Like, he opens up in the middle and he's like, there's nothing inside. Like, while he's freaking out. And he starts to dissolve, like, end of Avengers Infinity War movie dissolve. 
It's crazy. And from there, the llama looks around and realizes he's someplace else, and he says, I'm alive. And he sees the devil there again, and he realizes they've time-traveled back to, like, the, uh, not the Civil War, but the, uh, World War II, I guess. Yeah, that's right. World War II. And we see all the other characters from the Project Superpowers. We have American Flag, we have Masquerade. Like, as far as the cast, there's a whole slew of them that are there. And it, it's basically two of them watching the, the battle happen and seeing what the turning point was. And it kind of gives us a catch-up on why these characters are alive now. So at one point during the battle, in order to stop the uh, the villains that are fighting, the only way to do it was to trap them inside Pandora's box. So the way the storylines work during when these characters get trapped and move forward in time is that the Nazis get a hold of Pandora's box, they open it up, release it on the world. In order for the whores to get put back inside Pandora's box during the battle, the only way they could do it is if they also trapped almost all of our heroes inside with it. Then eventually, um, in another storyline, the Pandora's box was opened again and all the heroes got out and so the villains, so... It's not like a group of villains, it's like the Pandora's box, the entities from it. Anyhow, and then from there we flash forward, like way forward in the future, like flying ship type forward. And we see what looks kind of like a Justice League setup, and all the characters are here. So we have the Black Terror, uh, Masquerade... The Green Llama sees himself next to the Deathifying Devil, and they're all, like, at a meeting trying to decide what's going to happen. And from there, we see a giant explosion, and the Green Llama realizes that him from the future is looking at him that's time-traveled and, like, can see the two of them. Up until this point, whenever they were back in World War II, no one else could see them. They were just there viewing it. This time around, he can see himself, and it's the future him looking at him, which is crazy. Anyway, then we get a reveal of what the explosion was, and we've got a giant death-defying devil outside, stamping and destroying the city, and, like, blue lightning's coming out of his eyes, and the llama starts talking to himself, and the future llama tells the old llama that the reason that they can't win is because the flag hasn't returned. And we learn about the American flag, which is the embodiment of hope in America, and that's kind of what helped them win World War II in the first place, and what it basically is, it looks like a, a cloak. Like cloak and dagger style, except there's no man. It's just the cape, or it's just the flag, and it's the American flag shaped like a cloak. Anyhow, that leads us to a little wrap, and he's going to set forward what the next battle is supposed to be about. So it's about permitting this future from happening is what the story is going to be about. And all these 50s characters are going to be mixed up in it. So the, the Black Terror, who basically looks like a... I don't know, he kind of looks like a Superman with a mask and then a skull and bone tattoo, or like skull and bone costume on his chest. Like a sweet pirate. Yeah, like a, yeah, like a sweet pirate. Um, Masquerade looks basically like Carmen Sandiego, if you know who that is. <laughs> what she looks like. She did have some cool books, though. I, I do like that character. But yeah, as a thing, it's, it's an interesting matchup of all these characters again. And like the whole them moving forward, kind of like how Captain America was with the freezing or like the cosmic cube for Red Skull. Just Pandora's box is what captured them in the first place, and it was more a matter of a sacrifice because they let it happen, knowing that's the only way the Yank, the fighting Yank, who was the other guy that was there, could reintroduce the horrors of Pandora's box into it. Which is crazy. So, as a thing, I mean, it, it's all crazy. Um, art's pretty good. Story-wise, I mean, it's a setup for an event book, I guess. Because it seems to be like this whole group again fighting whatever they're going to be fighting to try to prevent the damage of the future. 
for like a weird preview, I mean, I give it two and a half. The art's really good. The story's interesting, but these are all characters that, without knowing who they were, it's hard to lead forward from. And there's been a whole lot of like Project Superpower stuff that's happened in the past. So you do get a f- good foothold with this because we introduce like the llama, we introduce the Death of Fighting Devil, and there's a little write up for him that tells you what their powers are. So like, as a setup book, it's not a horrible setup book by any means, but it is a preview book. It's a 10 cent book. So as far as scores, you're not going to knock it out of the park entirely. But the art's good and the setup's interesting. So I don't know. I'm interested to see it. But I like the Death of, I like the Black Terror a lot. I think the character's really cool and I like Masquerade too. Llama, don't really know a lot about, Saber when he shows up in other books, but as a thing, like, both those characters are like, so I'm interested enough to see what number one does. And then after that, I guess we'll see. So yeah, two and a half. That's all I got. I'm done. Josh, do you know anything about that book? I don't know a ton about these characters, so I was a little lost, but I would say I'd agree with you, two and a half. I like the the character design for a lot of these guys. So, I mean, if it's done well, it could be really, really cool. But, um, yeah, we'll just, like you said, we'll see where it goes. So, I don't know some of them, like, in the preview pages at the back, there's a huge, gigantic guy with, like, the his eyes. Oh, with the blindfold on? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure if that's supposed to be Samson or if that's supposed to be the Fighting Yank, just old. I don't know enough to know who that is. He looks a lot like uh, Earth-X Captain America. If right. you ever saw that book. If not, then it doesn't do any good anyway, so that's what Google's for, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, let's move on from there to Go Go Power Rangers, number 11. Number 11. Dun dun dun. And this was coming out from Boom Studios, which I mean, we said that earlier, but now you know, knowing it's half the battle. G.I. Joe. Not only me. So the design, well, two things actually on this book. Um, somewhat action figure news for Power Rangers. Um, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. They're doing this Evil Tommy. Oh, that's cool. There's going to be a figure of Evil Tommy from this this uh, story arc, which looks pretty cool. And then um, the company that made that White Ranger and Green Ranger that you got for me. Uh, SH, yeah. Yeah, they... Uh, they're re-releasing the White Ranger, but they're oh. but they're doing they're they are doing it with a, a second head, and the head is of the art of regular Tommy. Oh, that's crazy! So the head looks like the so looks, looks like the the comic character. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty nice. cool actually. Looks neat. Huh, that's interesting. I'll have to figure out who's doing that. That's cool. Um, so this issue is written by uh, Ryan Parrot, and uh, is illustrated by Dan Mora. And as far as like art, I mean, it's fantastic. My, yeah. my goodness. Like as far as a series, this whole shattered grid stuff, if you're not a Power Rangers fan, it's still really good. Even if you don't know anything about the Power Rangers, you'd still be into it. It's, they've really hit it out of the park with this story arc. It's cool. No, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, this particular book picks up with, uh, well, it's got a subheading that tells you that it's somewhere. And uh, we join Kimberly with the short hair and the pierced ears and kind of in like a Michonne-looking samurai. Well, not samurai, like a Michonne ninja kind of outfit because it's not... It, it's not the normal pink ranger outfit. No, not at all. Um, and she's with Bulk, and the two of them are fighting a batch of a century rangers. So, like, 
guys that are soldiers that sort of have ranger costumes but aren't actually rangers. And they are basically took out a group of them. And we get a pullback to reveal that we're in this, like, makeshift... Not, it's not a hospital, but like a makeshift hospital. And there's a whole bunch of injured people there. And from there, we get a, a cut fairly quickly from, like, the group to a, to a shot of Matthew, who's in there. And he's pretty beat up. Like, he's bandaged really heavily. And dude looks not good. I don't remember what series Matthew's from. I don't know enough Power Rangers to know where he came from originally. I know where he fits in these stories, but right. what series he originally fits in, I don't know. Because, like, timeline-wise, I'm not sure where he fits or whether he was ever a ranger, actually, or not in the show stuff. From this, I don't I don't know enough to know that. But uh, Matthew, the way he and Kimberly are connected, Kim's boyfriend is Matthew, and now we're with future Kimberly. And uh, in a, a later time where Matthew's older also, and... Of course, that leads her to come to him and be like, "Oh, you're hurt. How badly hurt are you? I'm gonna get you out of here." And he's like, "No, no, I'm, I'm not going anywhere." And she's like, "We need to talk. After, after I take care of this stuff, we're gonna have to talk and square things away." And he's just like, "It's all right, Kim. I'm nothing's, you know, I'm not going anywhere." From there, she asks the doctor how he's doing. The doctor's like, "I've done the best I can." And then uh, Bulk shows back up and he's like, "Hey, uh, we've got others coming. We gotta get these people out of here." And then from there, Matthew dies. Because he was really messed up. And we get cut away fairly quickly from that to Kim and Bulk with with a whole bunch of uh, of the refugees all out on top of a hill outside the city. And uh, she tells Bulk she's going back because she can't let she can't let all of her friends die. And then from there we cut to now. And now we have classic Pink Ranger Kimberly facing off against the other. Ranger Slayer Kimberly. It's a pretty good fight. I mean, the two of them are, are going at it pretty well, like talking trash to each other and everything. Uh, from there, while this is all going on, we see a much younger Matt almost get crushed by one of the dragon, by the, by the, the, uh, T-Rex Zord. And Jason inside tells him, you gotta move, Matt, but he calls him by name, which of course freaks Matt out because he has no idea who the Rangers are underneath being the Rangers. So it's like a superhero knowing your name, which is crazy. We get a little more fighting with the Zords. T-Rex gets run through by uh, the evil Dragon Zord, Tommy. In the Zord, of course. And then we go back to the Kimberly's fighting. So as the Kims are both fighting, the older Kim, the Ranger Slayer Kim, gets the upper hand. And young Kimberly is helped by, uh, not Zordon, but uh, what's what's the little guy's name? The IAI guy? Um, Shoot. I can't remember the dude's name is. It's a little Alpha. S- Alpha, there you go. Gets kind of in the way of their fight and allows young Kim to push a button on the uh console that electrocutes everything in the room, including old Kimberly. And apparently the electrocute the electrifying her cleared up her what was going on with her brain. She's being she's been being controlled by evil Tommy mm-hmm. and she is basically brainwashed doing all this crazy nonsense. And that leads her to have a breakdown because she remembers killing all of her friends and she didn't want to, which is hard to believe. Like the issue before this, she initially posed as somebody trying to help. And, uh, now we're at the point where it was, she really better. So for a minute there, they let us ride that out as whether it's a real thing or not. But after that batch of stuff, everybody sort of gives her a second chance and we move forward. And so Kim and Kim 
are both kind of hanging out for a little bit. And they keep calling her the older sister. Yeah, they. she makes up an excuse for who she is. She tells them it's her older cousin, Sally. Her cousin, yeah. So Kim takes old Kim, Sally, to the malt shop. Is that what the, is that what the place is? It's the yeah. malt shop, isn't it? Which is sort of ridiculous, but while they're there, like... Old Kim is just having a ball, like she shake after shake after shake, and she talks about how you have to pay attention to these times, Kim, because it's all the silly times in the middle that you're really fighting for, and I know that you're. It's hard for your life whenever you're constantly in death-defying battles, but it's the weird nonsense in the middle that is important. And she tells her she's never going to have a, a lack in life of problems because Kim's constantly chasing boyfriend problems and her mom and dad being separated problems and fighting monsters problems. So, like, she really knows at home to Kim that she needs to not focus so heavily on everything else in, in the little bit of free time she gets in life. But we get this cool kind of, like, 80s montage of old Kim playing video games and beating all the high scores and having malt shop drinks and, like, impressing everybody with her crazy ability to drink shake after shake after shake, which is a weird ability, but apparently is a thing. In the 80s, it definitely was. And she does some gymnastics, of course, because it's an 80s montage, so why not? 90s. 90s, 80s, whatever. Way different. Sure. <laughs> um, but from there, we have young Matt, who uh, a little earlier on in the book was talking to Zach and Billy and uh, Trini about how he was downstairs whenever the crazy monster attack happened, and one of the super suits knew his name and how awesome he thinks it is and how they need to go investigate. And they're like, no, 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 you need to stay away. You can't run into danger, man. you got to stay out of it. So when he meets Kim and Kim, of course, old Kim is having problems because she just watched Homeboy die, and young Kim is like, oh, hey, this is my boyfriend introducing her to herself, which is kind of bizarre. Anyhow, that leads old Kim to uh, leave the scene because she can't handle it, and that leaves her alone outside, and uh, about that time, a portal opens up, and we get Evil Tommy, and Evil Tommy shows up, and of course, Kim follows suit, transforming back into her Morphin, like, Ranger Slayer outfit, Morphin style, so it just kind of happens, and uh, she tells him, oh, I was coming to help you, initially she thought he was dead, maybe, because some other stuff that happened in the previous couple issues, and she's like, oh yeah, I was going to use these Rangers and, and get their information from Zordon to figure out a way to come help you. And he's like, oh yeah, I knew you were going to try to do that. Sure. Blah, 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 blah. And as they're, the two of them are talking about the next steps to wipe out all the rangers, he tells her how he killed this world's Tommy and then watched him die in his arms. And she's like, was that such a good idea? He's like, hang on, you never questioned me. Oh, your brain's been cleared again. That's all right. This is the last time I need to see you anyway. And he basically just leaves her there, which that results in her doing some other crazy things that will leave as a catch for the next issue or for a, a catch at the end, I guess. Because from there, she makes some decisions that are going to lead to other things in the next couple issues. Score-wise, man, I, I give it a, I give it a four. Like, it's... Like, Evans is never a heavy, heavy Power Ranger person ever. I mean, it was on, but it was... It wasn't something that I was super, super heavily into. I know more about the Power Rangers, but I probably met more Power Rangers in real life than any of the people I... Anybody I know... <laughs> Because I met a lot of them, because I go to a lot of shows. And original cast, there's like one, two, three, four of them I actually met and I had conversations with. Yeah, Jason David Franks, I'm in one of his pictures from Colorado Springs Comic Con. The dude likes to do a lot of pictures. He's very internet. The Green Ranger? Yeah, he's he's very media. Slash white, slash red. Yeah. Slash black. Right, and teacher, because he was a teacher in one. Anyway, 
so yeah, score wise, I give it a four. Art's great. This whole like Ranger Slayer costume for Kim is great. Like old Kim looks awesome. Not the young Kim looks bad, but costume wise and like design wise, like she looks freaking great. Like she's so punk rock, it's awesome. Anyhow, uh, so yeah, I give it a four. Book's great, art's great, story's been killer. Um, Gogo's gonna end at the end of the whole Shattered Grid. And then we're gonna see a new series that's called Adventure of Gogo Power Rangers, I think. So I guess we'll see what follows over from there, but as a series, yeah, it's been fun. It's awesome. Josh, what do you know about the Power Rangers? I've got a four as well. Um, I, if you don't know, and you're, you're like wondering what the heck we're even talking about right now, which is a possibility. Um, this is a, a, a story arc where in one reality, Tommy never loses the Green Ranger powers, but he also gets the White Ranger powers and he st- stays evil and takes over the planet and like has a, makes a Power Ranger army and a lot of the other Power Rangers try to stop him and he has him killed and Kimberly, he brainwashes her somehow and that's what they cover that in this one and she kills some of them as well. I mean, she basically kills her group of Power Rangers from the inside. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just been real dark, but really cool. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's been an interesting run. Oh yeah. Well, as far as like death of Rangers, like we're not just talking regular, Mighty Morphin. We're also talking uh, Zeo Force and Dino Dino Charge, and, which is Time Ma- Rangers. Matthew is from Dino Charge. Is that where he's from? Okay. Yeah. Which I, that's not one of the ones I'm familiar with. Yeah, me either. There's like a million of them, but yeah. Right, but we've gone through a whole slew of different sections and sets of Power Rangers, and a whole lot of them are dead at this point, um, including at least two or three variations of Mighty Morphin. And, like, the Shattered Grid, like, the way it works is really kind of brilliant in a not-like-normal-time-travel kind of way. So, like, the way it works and how we still have Evil Tommy, because the reality he's from is, is separate, but, like, all these realities, like, even though Time Force stuff, whenever we have basically Tommy and those ones, too, after he killed the original Tommy from the original Mighty Morphin, it broke reality into different pockets. So not unwriting time, unwriting history but it created different pockets of time where Tommy never died and this encounter with Tommy and Tommy never happened. So, like, it's a crazy way to think about time travel, but it's kind of awesome. It's definitely interesting. I liked what she... Because in her reality, like, evil slash not evil brainwashed Kimberly is... Bulk is part of the resistance that she's a part of, and... um in this reality, she sees him and walks up to him and gives him a hug, and he's, like, freaked out because, like, she's, like, well, supposed norm- to not even know who he is, and he's, like, uh... Normal, normal reality for him, he's still the uh, bully nerd guy, and she's still the high school cheerleader. But, like, it's future her, so or other reality her, so he doesn't even realize who it is, and he's just no, confused well, as to why this girl's hugging him. So Right. Well, and she, like, she even talks to him, like, as a, as a compatriot, and it's not even, like, other reality for her. This is a future reality, her. So when the universe broke and the different pockets became different pieces of reality, this is the same Kimberly we're dealing with. They're both the same Kim. It's just one's evil future Kim, and the other one is current now Kim. But the way the reality works when they kill each other, it doesn't unwrite the other one because of how the world is broken. That's what I was saying about the whole like time travel being very different in this, because it is. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, the Boom Studios has really hit a home run. I mean, it, 
Oh yeah. When they, I mean, they've had this property for a while, but when they when they decided to do this, it could have gone horrible, and they've just really done an incredible job. Like I, I think I don't know, ten episodes ago, twelve episodes ago, when I did this with you, like I was excited for this to start, and it's just been great ever since. The polybagged issues were really cool that they did. Oh, um, the number twenty fives, yeah, yeah, and like there were random covers for each one, and you actually got. Every single one that you had in the store was pretty much a different cover. Well, yeah, we so. had enough in the store that it was kind of crazy because we actually had one guy come in and buy the last, like, five or six that we had sitting in there, and every one of them wanted to be indifferent. So there were some duplicates that came to the store, of course, because we, I don't know, I can't remember how many we actually sold of it, but the last six that were in the store, when that guy picked them up, somehow they were all different. It was freaking crazy. That doesn't make any sense at all. Speaking of polybag books, man, this should have been in the news. Um, <laughs> man. So I'm going to throw everybody back to the news real quick, and then we'll move on to the, uh, the Lost City Explorers. So in October, we're going to have Image doing a special for, well, it's the 15th anniversary for The Walking Dead. And the day they're going to have it on is the 13th of October, which is Saturday, for those of you paying attention with your calendars. And what they're doing is they're doing some 15th anniversary reissuings. So we're going to issue 1, issue 2, issue 7, issue 19, all with brand new covers done, sealed up in a black polybag style. The reasoning is because each version of the cover, there'll be four versions of it. So there's a full-color normal logo. There's a full-color virgin, so none of the logo stuff on it, none of the title stuff on it. A black and white, and then a black and white virgin. All four versions are blind draw in the bags. The, uh, the black and white version is like the, there's a 10% chance of getting it. So it's more limited than the other three. But overall, like that's why they're still up the way they are because you have four possibilities of which version of the cover you get. And they're all new covers across the board. Like David Finch is doing the number one. Number two is being done by Chris Samney. Um, I don't remember who's doing the seven issue seven. If you don't got, you guys don't know, Walking Dead issue seven is the reveal of Lori being pregnant. And the burial for Shane. Then number 19 is the first appearance of Michonne, and it has a J. Scott Campbell cover. So, yeah. And then the next batch of them, I mean, they're doing a 108, which is like, I can't remember what happens in that one. There's a whole slew of them. Most of them are deaths and re- or first appearances and deaths. 108 is the first appearance of Jesus. That's what that is. They're doing a 100. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's really cool which ones they're doing, because most of them are like, Big first appearances or major death sequences. And they're not second prints or they're reissues because they're 15th anniversary editions is what they are. So they're brand new printings of the books with the new covers. So that's really pretty cool. Anyhow, that happens in October. So that should have been news. And sorry, it's not in the right place, guys. Mixes it up. It's fine. I guess. I mean, that's a... It's like a commercial during a TV show. Holly bags come full circle. In my head, so there's that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, let's move on to Lost City Explorers. This is uh, from Aftershock Comics, um, issue one also. Um, by Zach Kaplan and Alvaro Saraseca. For the artist, yeah, so Saraseca. Um, I do dig the art in this book, actually, a lot. It's not as punchy as, like, the Go-Go was, but it's it's good. Um, starts off with a uh, real spacey, science fiction-y, satellite-looking drone thing and like it's going through water and a bunch of testing and talking and there's some scientists in the underground cavern with some pillars and like looks very um ancient like 
Rome, like Greek-ish. Like the style of it, yeah. The room is, but uh, it's basically a bunch of people sending a kind of like archaeological dig. Yeah, archaeological dig where they're sending a drone, which is what the the ship's not really a ship; it's a drone. Like, uh, and they're excited that they're like that they've obviously made a breakthrough to another reality. That it's not just a pool of water; that it's an actual like doorway to another time or place or. They don't really. It's kind of unclear, like how, what it is, or what well, they, it, they don't know. So, like, what they found is a pool of what appeared to be a pool of water, just in a, an old part of the city that was underground, undiscovered. But you don't really find that out till later. Like, right at this point, mm-hmm. of the issue it's just kind of there. You're not sure what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, one of the guys that looks like to me kind of the main guy, um, gets sucked into the water. And all of a sudden, there's a big white water nymph-looking humanoid thing. I'd say an entity of some type, yeah. yeah very scary, like kind of like broading and uh, you know, interesting. And everybody's kind of freaking out, like they can't keep the portal open if the music doesn't keep playing. So the music has something to do with the portal. Yeah, um, the way they the way they access the pool to make it become a doorway is with sound. And one of the scientists makes tells them to. Um, just go, just run, and then it flash forwards to a rock. There's a rock concert, and it's um a younger teenage, like just graduated high school girl with her and her friend, and they're talking about how she doesn't want to go to college, and she doesn't. Her dad's a professor, and he's always stuck in his books, and he doesn't really care about anything, and she doesn't want to go to college because it's she, you know she doesn't feel like she needs to learn anything. That's not she's smarter than that. She doesn't need to be another sheep. And her and her friend are just chatting and talking about how they hate life. And there's a lot of teenage angst. And um, she gets home and her brother's kind of yelling at her about, like, why didn't you answer your phone? We'll come to find out, her da- like, there's police there. And um, they showed up to tell them that their dad had died. And which was what was going on in the cavern. Well, um, at the funeral, you know, there's just an empty suit and a book. There's no, there's no body because he fell through that portal. But they, none of the kids know that. Right. And so, um, there's this weird girlfriend of the brother, and she's all taking selfies of herself at the funeral, which is really bizarre. She's a little too social media aware. Like, they, they play on that a little bit with that character, and she's not necessarily completely detached, but the way they talked about the dad is like both the kids had different feelings about had, him. Yeah, a different connection to him, and dad's been so busy with his work that, of course, the daughter, she's. Feels neglected, and oh, dad hasn't been paying attention, and mom's been dead for at least a little while, because they mentioned that earlier, how she felt like she had no parents, and then once we find out dad's dead, well, believe dead. When you're not sure, like, what happened to the mom, either they're very vague on that, so... Yeah, mom, they they talk about mom being gone, but they don't talk, they talk about her being dead, but they don't say why or anything. So I almost wonder if in the future we find out that maybe the mom was part of this as well, and maybe... It's possible, I guess. So who knows? Um, Anyway, then a, a suit... A suit in quotation marks, like guy walks up. He's like, "Hey, um, we had a insurance policy on your dad, and if you guys say that it was a, this gas explosion was an accident, we'll give you this huge insurance settlement." So basically, trying to buy buy their silence, right? And the son's like, "Sure, let's just take the money." And the daughter, who's obviously the rebel, she's like, "No, I don't know if I want to do that. That doesn't sound right." And uh, they they getting an argument, the brother and the sister. And so the sister and her friend who were hanging out at the rock concert earlier in the issue, um, they take off and they're hanging out and, uh, 
they are approached by a this blonde woman who you see earlier in the issue in the portal scene, and she's like, hey, um, I don't think your dad's dead, and nobody can know that we're having this conversation right now, but I think I can help you get him back, but I need his computer, and I need, and I gave her kind of a list of things to look for, and she, the daughter believes her. Which, right. So she's like, okay, let me go home and see what I can find, and they get back to the house, and the house has been ransacked, and just looks like somebody robbed the place, trashed the place, but nothing's stolen except for when they go down to the uh, basement where the dad's office, where they weren't supposed to go, um, they know that their dad's computer is gone. Well, yeah, when they when they were talking about the upstairs, they make points of like, oh, the TV's not stolen, just everything's a mess. And I, I guess the when they were growing up at home, dad's office was off limits, which I guess makes perfect sense considering, I mean, he's basically like a college professor, scientist guy, so... right. But yeah, when they get downstairs, yeah, that the only thing that's actually gone is the laptop. And of course, that just adds credence to our other blonde lady, which we saw earlier. We know she's one of the doctors that was at the experiment. So for us, it's a lot more this lady knows what she's talking about than it is for the daughter at all. But yeah, she sells a pretty believable pitch about it. Well, and so by the end of it, um, they look up on the wall and there's all these charts and maps and pictures and drawings and things like that and photos of what appears to be the lost city of Atlantis. And that's what their dad was trying to where he was trying to get. And so, um, what they think basically is that the dad has fallen through the, the daughter explains to the, the brother and everybody else that, Hey, I don't think dad's dead. And I think this is where he's at. So it's a really good debut. It's a pretty exciting book. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Like I, I dig the, the idea of alternate history, whatever. I think that's really cool. Uh, do you have a score for that book, Josh? I hate to go do the same score again and again, but, uh, cause two, two of the, uh, three I've already given, but, um, I give it a four. I, was, I enjoyed it. It's got, it's, it's, it's a cool premise for a book. Um, excited to see where it goes as well. I know you talked about this before you were excited for this book to come out. So, Well, yeah, the preview showed up in the back of a couple of the Aftershock issues, and so the preview was basically the first, I think, three pages of the issue. So, yeah, it, I thought it was a cool setup from the beginning, just and reading the write-up in the previous catalog, of course, helped with that. But, yeah, the idea of uh, basically an adventure group going to other realities, I think is freaking awesome. So it hits me in my Stargate bone. Is that a thing? I hate Stargate, but I, I actually, <laughs> I liked the comic, so. Right, well, it's not the same thing, but. Yeah, thank that, you. That's the area I was like, hey, it's like that, cool. Stargate's trash. Nah, that's not true. Craig can take that. It's not true. <laughs> uh, Score-wise, yeah, you know, I give it I give it a four also. Like, the art's really clean. The art's really, I really like the character designs. Like, yeah, they're all supposed to be normal characters, so they're not like superheroes or whatever, but they all have like really cool, distinct looks and styles to them. It's, so, clean, it's I think clean and cool. consistent, which is in, in this day and age, which a book that we didn't talk about tonight, but that you and me both agreed on that sometimes in a book art can go start okay and through the issue get gradually worse for some weird reason. Yeah, I think that's because there's like, I think there's at least two artists on that particular issue. The book you're talking, the work, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't. I look, I thought the same thing and there wasn't. It's there the same wasn't? Of the whole oh, that's thing. Weird. But, but yeah, it's just, I mean, consistency and it's clean and it's, it's, yeah, that's, Sometimes it's hard to do weirdly. Um, right. But it's a good book. So if you're into like sci-fi adventure kind of like, I don't know, like, I guess like you said, 
as much as I don't want to, but Stargate mixed with like Indiana Jones. Yeah, I can see that. Like it's, it, it does have that cool. feel to it. It's a good book. So yeah, I dig it. I can easily see this turning into a movie or a show pretty easily. Oh, for sure. That'd be really just from the first issue. Be a really cool TV show. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. Um, okay. Well, let's move on to Superman number one. Yep, Superman number one. This is uh, from DC Comics. This is the new uh, Brian Michael Bendis issue number one for the 2018 series. As if that's really necessary right now, but depending on when you're listening to this, if it's in the future, you know, just so you know where we're at with Superman, because there's a lot of number ones. Yeah, so Brian Michael Bendis is the writer, and Ivan Rice is the artist. And first and foremost, the art in this book is, is great. Oh, uh, yeah. I like Ivan Rice, he's, he's an awesome artist. Um, but it starts off with Superman's flying through space, and he's talking about, well, it gives you like a kind of a catch-up of what's been going on in the Superman the Man Sto- of Steel storyline? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, was it a six-part or four-part? It was a six-part. So, basically, John and Lois are with Grandpa. Jor-El Grandpa, yeah. Grandpa L, and they're uh, traveling through space somewhere. Right. John, so, whenever Jor-El came back, he offered Superman the opportunity to take John with him through space to try to help him learn the same way Clark learned in the shuttle by himself. And Lois agrees to go with him to chaperone, of course, because how is she going to stop two Kryptonians from doing things that are crazy? But she, <laughs> she's a smart lady, and she does get work done, so i got to give her credit there. But yeah, so they they basically took him, and that was shortly after this whole Rogue Lazar thing happened. So yeah, Man is still kind of covers a lot of ground. It's only six issues, but we get a whole lot of setup to get to this book. And to catch up at the beginning, the first couple pages while he's out flying in space gives you a lot of junks or exposition to explain parts of that. I mean, yeah, you don't get the whole story, but they give you a pretty good catch-up over the three pages. And I'm not all the way through Man of Steel yet, um, so but by, me, by me reading this, like, I'm kind of going to know what's happened at the end of it. But at least if, parts of it, yeah. If, you have it, if you're a big Superman fan and you plan on re- reading these books at all, you should probably read Man of Steel first. Just like, I would say, oh, yeah. Get those, get those issues first. They're all out. Aren't they now? Yeah, they're they all, are. Yeah, yeah. So they're all out. Get those and read those, because it's a really good story. No, yeah, it's it's um, good. I didn't realize you hadn't read the the end of that. I guess sorry about that. Oh, it's fine. Um, but this one starts out. He's flying through space. And he's looking for when that villain. What's his name again? Rogue Lazar. Rogue Lazar. When he he destroys the Fortress of Solitude and he destroys um, Superman's communicator. That was the only way for him to contact. Lois and, and John, John and Jarrell so, when they travel through space. And the, the bottle city of Candor gets oh, destroyed. Oh, yeah. That's crazy, too. God. It's a lot of... So the beginning of this book like spoils the crap out of <laughs> Man is Steel, now that I think about it. But uh, anyway, so he he's he can't communicate with Lois and John, so he, just, he wants to try and find him. So he's flying through space looking for him, and he runs into an alien invasion, a potential alien invasion that might be coming for, for Earth, but it would it would be a while before it got there. And he's like, well, you know, if anything, I stopped this. Cause, and so he, he roughs up these aliens, teaches them a lesson. And, uh, and then it kind of rewinds back to when he's back on earth. And he's like thinking about Lois and he's like laying in bed and like, she's not there. And just like basically talking about a story that she'd written and he was supporting her and blah, blah, blah. It's like flashback day to day life stuff. Because we get scenes with him and mm-hmm. her, like him remembering stuff, and then stuff with John, the son. And then, like, so it's like he was the next, yeah, next page is like him sitting with John, talking about how he has to go to school and John doesn't want to go to school, and uh, 
but he's sitting at the same kitchen table in real li- in real life, and he's just like th- he's by himself because he's missing his family. Right. And then it's uh, him hanging out with the Justice League, and they're looking at the wrecked the wrecked rubble of the Fortress of Solitude, and they're like, "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And Green Lantern's like, "Oh, did you take care of this, 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 and this?" And uh, he's like, "I took care of it, Hal. All right. I mean, I'm freaking, I'm freaking Superman. He's like, give me a break, man. My freaking Fortress of Solitude's broken." It's really pretty. Back. Yeah, it's really pretty funny because Hal's like, the, the Guardians want to know if you took care of the, the Phantom Zone. The Guardians want to know if you took care of this, and like, yeah, Superman's like, everything's been taken care of, bro. And so he takes, he gets the, he gets the, the, the main crystal back, and he goes and drops it in the Bermuda Triangle, and, pizzah, brand new Fortress of Solitude. Basically, yeah. So, first of all, that's gonna, that makes me wonder, like, oh, you're already in the Bermuda Triangle, then you put a big gigantic ice mountain there, that's not going to make boats not crash or disappear. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, that's good about the Bermuda Triangle, same thing as the center of the North Pole. People don't go there. You don't go to the Bermuda Triangle unless you're some weird adventurer type trying to find some lost treasure of Atlantis. <laughs> sure. Or whatever nonsense. Or just a terrible pilot or a terrible or Maybe just like, a cruise boat that's captain. just cruising along and also there's a massive iceberg. No, that's not how that works. It's, it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Like you you got to be being completely re- ridiculous to wind up there. <laughs> but the thing that's crazy about that is that that's the same place that the rift is that all the criminals from Atlantis got put is in the Bermuda Triangle. So is that going to affect that? I don't know. This is what I thought when I read it. I'm like, hang on. That's where all Mira's people that are the criminals of Atlantis are trapped. Okay. Clearly that doesn't matter at this point. So go on, Josh. So anyway, he's, it goes to him be Clark sitting at work, typing a story and then he, um, decides not to type it. And he's sitting there and then all of a sudden he gets a mental message from Marsh Manhunter. And so he cruises out and meets Marsh Manhunter above, above the city. And they start having a chat. And a real interesting chat. At first it's like kind of heartwarming, heartfelt. Like John's like, hey man, like I kind of, I heard what really happened to Krypton, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm sorry about that. That's a bummer. And, uh, you know, I'm here for you if you need anything. And then, uh, intermittently Clark's like cruising around, like going and saving things, saving things. And, coming back and finishing the conversation. And then Martian Manhunter gets kind of weird and is like, hey, somebody needs to lead the Earth into the future and like actually lead these people and show them that war being divided isn't the right thing. And like Superman's kind of on board at that point. And then he's like, so yeah, you have to do this. You have to make them see it. And he's like, wait, what, make them? Yeah, it's pretty disturbing, Very actually. dictator kind of... Control the world style. Kind of odd. And there was like... There's a story some years ago where Martian Manhunter was, um, it was like kind of a, an Elseworlds maybe story, like a futuristic Justice League story. Because I think it was one of the Grant Morrison runs, but it's like, it takes place in the future and it shows like what, what if kind of thing and where Martian Manhunter like turns evil and does that. And he, he tries to take over Earth and they have to shut him down. And it ends with like Superman saying, Hey, you know, you might be an alien and you might be a visitor to this planet, but I'm an adopted son. Like they looked at me like they look at me as like one of them. And like, that's how it kind of ends. And anyway, so that, that's what it reminded me of that, that they might be going in that direction, which is weird. It's an interesting throwback. But yeah, the conversation gets very unsettling by the end of it. Yeah. And like Superman's not, not about it. Yeah. yeah he's real creeped out by it. <laughs> 
Um, so, and then it just leaves John Johns like looking at him like, I'm going to have to take this guy out. <laughs> I don't that's, know that's, the, that's the look I got. I don't know if that's what he's doing face-wise, but Marshall Manor has been slightly different in this whole New 52 Rebirth era. He's less uh, a fun-loving alien and more more bent on, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not bent, just he's, he does, he's not the same, like, benevolent soul that we're used to from the Just Leaks cartoons and from pre-New 52 stuff. He's definitely more rough around the edges. And this definitely fits that tone. I mean, that's what they did with him. I mean, in the first batch of New 52, the whole reason he wasn't there is because they kicked him out of the Justice League because of his ideas, which is what led him to Stormwatch, which was just a bad idea in general. So, Whatever. The new Stormwatch stuff has been way better, but the first batch of Stormwatch stuff was basically the authority with Martian Manhunter, and that's just not a good idea. Anyhow, so yeah, he's a lot more rough around the edges than what we're used to if you're a previous Justice League reader prior to New 52. Anyway, Clark takes off flying like a man-man because he's kind of angry, and he's thinking about like an argument that he had with his dad. His dad, not, not Pop Camp, but... Uh, Jarrell. Papa, Papa L., Papa L. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And he's flying, he's flying, he flies down to outer space, and he's like looking around, he's like, wait a minute, I know this, this isn't this isn't where this Earth is supposed to be, and it's in the Phantom Zone. Well, yeah, and the entire time he's flying, like we see the color around him sort of change, skew tone-wise. And yeah, when he, when he spits out and he stops, he's like, holy crap, the Earth's in the Phantom Zone. And that's kind of the in-like big catch. Which just makes me wonder, well, is this actually Martian Manhunter? Like, where are we actually at? Like, what exactly is really going on? So it's a pretty big, like, dun-dun-dun kind so, of yes. ending. I mean, did Martian Manhunter put the Earth in the Phantom Zone? Is that or... Martian Manhunter at all? Yeah, is he just dreaming? Or, it's, it's yeah. Did any of that stuff actually happen? Mm, a lot of questions. Which I'm sure is, that's how you set up a good story, but... Yeah, as a thing, it's very like, well, holy crap, what the hell's going on? I haven't been excited for about Superman for a really long time, and it's all oh, it's been so good. Like, Brian Michael Bendis is doing a good job. I agree, he's doing a good job. I I'm pretty happy with the Peter Tomasi stuff, and I'm pretty I was I was real happy with the Dan Jurgens and Peter Tomasi stuff actually. Um, not entirely a huge fan of Grant Morris's stuff. It wasn't bad, but there's definitely pieces in there that I could live without. And you just don't like Grant Morris. That's not true. I like him just fine. He's great in the, uh, yeah. Mike Chemical Romance music videos. He's great. That's all. <laughs> that was jokes for that. I, I really do, I really do like the dude. Like, he's written some stuff that I could live without for sure. But Joe the Barbarian, great. Like, he wrote that and it's amazing. I love, um, I love everything he writes. I don't yeah. care. That's, that's blind following, but. Even X-Men. <sighs> that's rough too. Give me a score for the Superman before we talk about more Grant Morris. God. Um, I give it a four. <laughs> All right. Solid four. That's good. Now, art-wise, it's really fantastic. Story-wise, it, it's it's good. I don't, I don't know. I fall like a three and a half with it. But being on the edges, the end of the Man of Steel stuff, it, it seems like we've been doing the story for a minute. Because there's six issues to get to where we are. And, like, I don't know if maybe they would have made those part of the regular story. Or maybe it would have been five issues instead of six. If I feel different about it. The writing is, is good. I mean, don't get me wrong on that. Brian Michael Bendis is great. I still have a sore spot for the other group that's been moved off the books, but it's interesting where we're at now, and I like the explanation of why John and Lois aren't around a lot more than I thought I was going to. Because initially I was pretty worried that they just dumped them, 
And now that that's not the case, well, okay, I'm pretty happy with it being a story point instead of a reboot or whatever. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, three and a half. That's where I'm at with it. And then we were talking about Grant Morrison. Is that what we were talking about? Uh, Grant Morrison. Whatever. Whatever. He's a good writer too. Like he is. Like, no, as far as stuff. He's a great writer. No, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. His super, his his action comic stuff was was really rough in New Fifty Two and made it hard for other people to work around him. I realize he's a crazy wizard, so that's fine. I will admit the guy one, actually met him once in real life too. And he was just, he's just fine. Like, nice enough. I didn't even think wizard at all when I met him. I didn't wonder why he was wearing a turtleneck sweater in the middle of summer. But, I mean, I guess wherever you want to make British, bro. That's what they do. No, Scottish. Scottish. Yeah. If you say so. It was weird because it was really warm. So. Maybe he was chilly. Yeah, it is possible. <laughs> that was during, it was before Joe the Barbarian finished, actually. I'm sure I've told this story on the show before, actually. Not this particular episode, obviously, but other episodes. So it was before Joe the Barbarian finished, and we were talking about it, because issue, I think it's the last, either the last two issues weren't out yet, or the last one wasn't out yet, and I was asking him, like, where he got the ideas from, and he told me, told me it was about his wife's, um, it was about his niece, so his wife's, however nieces fit. It was his niece, and she had a diabetic crash at the house, and he's like, yeah, it turned into a story, and I'm like, huh, cool. That's not how it really happens, you know that, right? And he's like, well, you know, whatever, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it was mostly a joke. And he's like, yeah, I said, so it's probably not going to go very good for Joe, is it? And he's like, no, no, it's not. I'm like, awesome. And then it took an extra, like, four months for the book to come out, and it doesn't end horrible. So did I break Grant Morris of how he's going to end the story? No. Maybe. You don't know. No. But there's a lot of other stuff that he's done that I, I don't know I could live without. But that's how every writer is. If they don't have a couple bumps in the road, you don't learn any good. So whatever. Anyway, so... Enough of that nonsense, unless you have something else to say about him. I liked that sea guy that he did, and he has like that f- crazy flying tuna that hangs out with the, the scuba diver guy. <laughs> man, that sea, stuff was awesome. Sea guy, Mickey Eye. Oh, man, this is crazy nonsense for the sake of crazy nonsense. No, it's awesome. <sighs> One of his first books that he ever did was The Invisibles. That's yeah, the Invisibles is my really favorite good. stuff. Um, we Three is really good, too. It's It's tragic, but it's really good. Yeah. I mean, he did, his JLA stuff was groundbreaking. It was yeah. incredible. He, he reestablished the, the big seven in the DC universe and like made it a big deal. I can give you that. I think he, he, he did good until Final Crisis. So yeah, he's, I, I just think he's fantastic. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that, um, let's move into the interview with Meredith Finch, who I think is fantastic. Super awesome lady. It was fun talking to her in Denver. Um, so we'll play that interview for you, and then uh, we'll be back after that for a second. Hey, this is Steve with Top 5 Comics Podcast here at the Denver Comic Con 2018, and I'm here with... Meredith Finch, and I've written Wonder Woman for DC Comics and Catwoman. I've written The Little Mermaid and some Tales of Terror for Zenoscope, and right now I'm working on Rose, my creator-owned project for Image Comics. And a little bit of Xena in there too, right? Yes, yeah, Xena. I, my last issue for Xena just came out this week. Really? I just ah. did five issues. Okay. I didn't realize it was only five. I had, well, when I first agreed to do Xena, I didn't know that they were going to continue it, so I made another commitment to another project that will be announced in Baltimore. So I couldn't continue because I have a limit to the number of, as a mom with three kids, I, there's only a certain number of comics a month I can write. Right, right. 
Well, okay, so with that in mind, your husband's doing, been doing art for a while with comic books. When did you decide you wanted to write comic books? Or was it something you always wanted to do? Or was it just like, how did you get to where you are now? I never thought I was grew up thinking I was going to write comics. I always thought I would write, but I thought I would write a fantasy fiction novel, because that's really what I love. Um, and then I met David, and for a long time I was very resistant to comics. And I thought they were really something that, that wasn't really for me. Um, I think the fact that the first comic he showed me had She-Hulk ripping apart the vision <laughs> might have something to do with that. That would make sense. So I was like, oh, if this is what comics are, that's not really my thing. But, I mean, I've been around them long enough over the course of our relationship that I started to see that there were other, other types of comics out there and things that were for me. And when um, our youngest finally went to school, David was reading some of my own personal writing I've been doing, and he said, I think you're a really great writer, and I think you've waited long enough, and he's like, I'm, you, you need to do this. He said, I believe in you, this is something you need to do, and he really pushed me out the door and, and, and set me on my way. Right, right. Well, it was a good place to launch from. That's really cool that you were interested in it. The idea with comic books, they're not all superheroes, and that's, I think, a misconception the world still has. So, like, getting past that hurdle is a very big thing, I think. That's really cool. Well, with, with Rose, okay, so question about, so you've written for companies, and now you're doing an independent book also. What's the biggest difference for you between company books, say DC or whoever, and your own book? I think with my own book, I have so much more freedom, so that's very liberating. But it was also very scary because I had to create a world. So when I'm drawing, when I'm doing Wonder Woman or writing Wonder Woman, she already has her villains, her her mother. At the time, Superman was her boyfriend. Like, I, there's all kinds of things that were already established for me. With Rose, I had to establish all of that. So it's it's very stressful, especially in that first issue. All the things that I'm putting in there, I have to I have to know that that's going to work through the the next 12, 18, 24 issues, and and that. Not leave it open, empty, open enough that you know I, I'm not writing myself in a corner in the first issue, but still establish enough of a, a a world that draws the reader in. Well, sure, and I guess the benefit between the two things, one with a full history of 75 plus years of stuff to work with, versus creating it yourself on the fly, a totally different thing. That's really cool. Okay, so if there's anything else you got to pick to work on outside of what you've already worked with Wonder Woman. Do you have a character you have your eyes on at all? Um, I would love to do a bigger, broader exploration of Catwoman because I only got to write her in that one election night story, and I, I love her as a character, and there's things I'd like to have done and explored with her. And I think because I'm so focused on that I've been in D.C. for so long, there's a lot of characters like Kitty Pride at Marvel, and I really like her, so you know, I'd like to maybe explore her at some point. I think that would be really cool. They're getting ready to do this whole Colossus Kitty Pride marriage thing, too. Oh, I would love that. Right. Okay. Um, so what's your go-to karaoke song? It's Fleetwood Mac, um, Go Your Own Way. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, so now if you were stranded on a deserted island, what five items would you take with you? Items can also be people. Well, that just exhausts my list. They don't have to be people, though. But I wouldn't want to be anywhere without my family. So be David and the three boys. That takes up four items. And um, a fridge that's never empty would be my fifth item. With four boys, that would be perfect. Plus, you have them to do any work you need done. That's, it. that's almost, almost the best one. Yeah. Almost. 
All right, so one more. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And why can't I have a chocolate unicorn or a chocolate pegasus? Since you made a chocolate, you can make him his own horn, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> so if, if someone gets a hold, wants to get a hold of you or wants to try to get... Well, other than just going to stores and buying your books, is there a place they can get a hold of you or look for your information or look for your materials online? Well, you can buy copies, individual copies of the book in the trade through our website, which is www.dfinchartist.com. And that might just show you how old I am that I said www, because probably most people don't do that, but there you go. Or um, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is finchmeredith1. I think there's supposed to be an at in front of that, but again, you can tell how socially unsavvy I am with the technology. And then I have a Facebook page, Meredith Finch. Well, Meredith, we appreciate you talking with us, taking the time. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank Meredith again for hanging out and chit-chatting with us. Like I said, her and her husband are awesome people. Um, if you haven't read Rose, you really should get on it. Uh, her, Zena, her run on Xena was really cool. Um, it's only the first arc, but whatever they make the announcement of that, the next book she's working on, it's, it's an upcoming cons when they're doing it. I know she says in the interview, I just don't remember where it was. Uh, anyway, that should be super exciting, so I'm pretty stoked for that. So guys, from there, we move into the lesson of the day. <laughs> So what did you learn today, Josh? Uh, I learned that you hate Grant Morrison. That's not true, though. Because he's so talented. That's not true. And you hate talented people. That's not true, either. That's really well, you, not true, you either. Ru- you love Layfield, and he's such a not-talented person. That's weird. That's not true. That's not true, either. Which you, a good lesson? I don't understand people wearing turtlenecks in summer. That's a good one. Yeah. Man, so, so what did I learn today? And you can't say that. Maybe same the thing. air conditioning was really cold. No, I was in the same building. It wasn't. Well, you you run hot. That's true. I do. You run hot because I'm angry all the time. You're like, oh, it's 57 degrees in your house. It's so hot, and I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> it's not true. I don't think I've even seen you wear a coat before. Um, that's not true either. I, I I have at least one coat. A light hooded sweatshirt. I do wear that a lot. That's in an true. Arctic blizzard. No, I, I have a. I have a down coat. I don't wear it very often. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I don't wear it very often. Another my fashion wardrobe. Josh, what did I learn today? Um, the turtlenecks are still fashionable <laughs> in the United Kingdom. <laughs> See, uh, brought it back. Oh, full circle, man. It's it was almost a waste, but then you sort of pull it out at the end. It's I, sort of. I put it where I wanted it. I I only look for little improvements. So that we're doing. Put good. it where I wanted it. Yeah, that's a different kind of story. I think that's what she said. I think that's where that joke goes. <laughs> pretty sure. I'm not a, not a, not a skilled person at that, but I'm pretty sure that's where that goes. Oh my god. Okay, so let's do some books to watch. My god. Uh, books to watch. Uh, I start out with giving you, uh, well, Superman at this point, I'd say is definitely worth watching as a thing. I mean, it's, of course, it's a big time right now with that. Uh, Detective Comics, we recently had a couple new character, well, one new character re- reveal. Uh, Titans, only because we have a shift of the team and like a reemergence of how the group's going to be shaped up as uh, after the short break from the uh, No Justice uh, miniseries. And we also have Justice League Dark coming out and Justice League Odyssey, which Odyssey's been pushed back now. So we, we got a few more months before that'll actually happen. But Dark's here in the next, like, I think three weeks. So that should be really cool. Just uh, 
Is Constantine going to be in the new Justice League Dark? I don't know if he's not. Bummer. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, they'll add him. It's possible. I mean, the Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, uh, Zatanna, Raven, Wonder Woman, and there's one more. I can't remember who it is. Starfire, maybe? Mm, I don't remember if it was her or not. I can't remember who the last one was. But it's not John, so. Hmm. Which is unfortunate. Um, so those, I'd say watch those books. Uh, Robert Kirkman recently had a, well, actually, this last week had a book come out, Die, Die, Die. I'd say watch for that thing, because it's crazy. That's other news that we didn't talk about. My God. Can we do news at the very end of the story? Mm-hmm. Man. We'll do more news. We'll do a little bit more news. My God, what a mess of mess of an episode. New news. So Robert Kirkman released a series, the first issue of a series called Die, Die, Die. And the way this thing was released, like, stores didn't even know they were getting it until yesterday, which would be Tuesday, whatever the date is, because I don't know that. The 9th, maybe? It doesn't matter what the date was. Anyhow, so the way they filled the orders was based on your original order of Oblivion Song number one. So if you ordered 10 copies, that means your store got 10 copies. If you ordered 20, however many copies you ordered, of your initial order is what you got. The thing that's crazy is that there's like seven different covers for this particular issue. Not entirely different covers, mind you. There's two different characters on the front of the book, and they both are having a conversation or talking to each other, and it's like really quippy, funny stuff. And there's like, there's at least six different versions that we saw. And then one that doesn't have the word bubbles at all. But like, I'm trying to remember what one of them said, but they were all very like, they said this wasn't going to be a mess. And the next guy, oh no, was he one? I remember one of them, I think he said something about a fan of, he's not a fan of messes. And then the next guy says a fan to make messes. That's awesome. And I'm like, these are the weirdest things ever. But they're not like barcode different and order wise, they're not different. It's just whatever fills is what fills. So wild. Um, I say if you can get a copy of that thing, get a copy of it because it's not something anybody expected to show up at all. Kind of out of nowhere. Anyway, that was enough new stuff, I guess, from that little piece here at the end. Uh, Josh, you have any books to watch? Um, the Superman book's really good. That Avengers book's amazing. Um, remember, if nobody remembers the last episode when I was talking about it, hmm. um, the Jugger Duck is coming. <laughs> so remember that. Remember to start looking for where that's going to be. I'm not going to tell you what issue it's going to be in, but that's going to be kind of a big deal character wise. It's like a first appearance of an interesting character, Jugger Duck. We'll see if it pays off. It's- as a thing, I mean, it is, yeah, it will be a first appearance, so. If it pays off, come on, man. <laughs> uh, you never know. Jugger Duck. It's crazy. Crazy nonsense. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Pretty much it. I say watch for the uh, Umbrella Academy, because I think that'll be awesome. Uh, if yeah. you aren't aware what Umbrella Academy is, there are two volumes. Uh, volume one is just self-titled Umbrella Academy. Second one's Umbrella Academy Dallas. Um, as far as characters, all interesting characters, uh, it's a book that when it first came out, actually, I've, I've told this story at the store a couple of times. I wasn't on board when it came out. Like you showed up one day and you're like, have you read this book? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, yeah, the My Comical Romance guy wrote a comic book. And I'm like, seriously? That was before the store was even open. It was. And you're like, dude, just read these copies. And so like you gave me your copies to go through and I looked at it and I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. You suck. All right. Cause it meant I had to go get them then. 
because they were really good. I said other swear words in there than that, but that's basically how the story goes when I tell it the store, basically. Yep, Josh45. Yeah, thanks a lot. The but they are great. I'm trendsetter. Uh, I don't know if I'd say that or not. I mean, you're not the one who wrote them. No, I was the first person I've got a junction to read them, so. I don't know if that's true or not. I know it's true. I can't prove it's true. No. There's no way you can prove it's true. Can't I, prove it's not. I will give you, you did lead me to it, so there's that. And can't, that doesn't happen very often. Can't prove it's not. Yeah, that's also true. Anyhow, so yeah, I'd watch for that as a book, because it would be fantastic. I guess that's it. Anything else? No, not really. The key? Mm-mm. Come on, man. It's almost like Power Rangers, except one guy. It's not. He fights giant monsters. It's the same way. It's, it's almost the same. It's kind of bug costume. Yeah, with a motorcycle. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, I like motorcycles. That's just sad. <laughs> <laughs>